Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the wars, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Great job, Gabe. Thank you, brother. Wow. Now, I have to read my verses perfectly, too, because you read yours. Way to raise the bar there, brother. Good morning, church. Good to be with you all. Thank you so much. Good to have you with us in person. Good to have you with us online. And we're so thankful for all of who are here and joining us in worshiping this morning. Uh, we are a body of believers who place a high value on discipleship. And it's among the love languages we speak, the, the things that we say, that the things that we do to express love for each other and love for God is to belong and learn and serve. And so we're glad you're here, a part of this congregation. Pray that you will uh, experience this morning a, a congregation that loves you and loves the Lord and uh, seeks to come together and encourage you and, and worship God in our time together. Our lesson this morning is managing our fears, managing our fears. And uh, if we're totally honest with ourselves, um, truly, truly honest, most of us, including me, wrestle sometimes with our fears. Uh, some of us are fearful of the upcoming presidential election. Either we're fearful that the one who's in office won't stay in office or the one who's been in office will come back in office, but there's fears associated with the presidential election. Some, some of us uh, worry about or fearful of uh, nations that are not friendly to us, Russia and, and China. Uh, some of us are, are, are fearful of the economy and maybe there's some uh, 401k that, that seems to diminish and, and rise and fall with, with the whims of the economy or the whims of world leaders. Uh, maybe it's just a week-to-week paycheck and just trying to keep the, the rent paid and utilities on. Some of us worry about uh, a diagnosis from the doctor. Some of, us, some of us worry about the future, whether it's our future, our kids' future, or, or our grandkids' future. We wonder what the, the future is going to look like. And so I, I, I firmly believe that, that when we're really, really honest with ourselves, many of us, including me, struggle with fears sometimes. We're in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles there, we'll begin reading here in just a moment. You'll be ready and ahead of the game. Peter is writing a letter to believers who are in difficult times. Peter's original readers are people who are living under Roman Empire. Under the Roman Empire, it's rule with thoroughly pagan nation. They happen to be living in the moment in history when Emperor Nero is in charge. And Nero is remembered in history as one of the, the ones who, who sought to destroy Christianity. He was a great Christian persecutor. And I don't mean great in a good way. And so Peter's original readers had worries of their own. They worried whether they could keep a roof over their head or whether the fact that they're a Christian and, and therefore an enemy of the state would, would mean that they would lose their homes, their, their crops, their fields, their, their herds. Can they, can they continue to feed their families? They, they might worry about whether they could keep their jobs. They might worry about whether they could keep their very lives or even worse yet, worrying about whether someone they love might lose their life simply for being a Christian. So how do Christians 
manage our fears? And maybe even a better question, how do Christians, how do we Christians manage our fears in a Christian way? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's stop there. How do we manage our fears? How do we, how do we get control of the things that, that we stay up at night worrying about? And maybe the first step here is we need to accept that we are combatants. The first step is accepting that we're combatants. We're not civilians. And I'll say this, no matter where you live on earth, whether you're, you're, you're a, a resident of this area and you're a, a regular member of this congregation, whether you're visiting from, no matter where you come from, it doesn't matter where you are, what you call home, you and I are living in a war zone between God and Satan. No matter where we live, we're living in a war zone between God and Satan, and civilians have always been casualties in war. Always. You go back to 1 Samuel. Uh, in 1 Samuel, King Saul is, is trying to keep David from taking the throne of Israel. And in his effort to keep David from taking the throne of Israel, Scripture says that he wiped out the entire town of Nob. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 14 says, with its men and women, its children and infants. Civilians caught up in a war, casualties of the war. In World War II, the United States ended its war with Japan by, by annihilating two Japanese cities. Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, and, and you can have wildly varying estimations of how many civilians were killed in that end to the war much less who were killed throughout the rest of the war. Because civilians have always been casualties in war. And even today, the Israelis are, are being criticized sharply because in their war with Hamas, they're, they're fighting in the towns and villages of Palestine, and civilians are paying the price. And so we live in a war zone, and anytime there's a war, civilians are caught up in it. And it's tempting to think of ourselves as innocent civilians in this cosmic war between God and Satan. Here we are minding our own business, trying to be good Christians, trying to be good people, and we're, we're innocent civilians caught up in that. But the truth is, we're not civilians, we're combatants. We're soldiers. The Bible is filled with language about God's people and God's followers, language that's it's military in its style. It describes us not as innocent civilians, but as, as soldiers. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, we're told to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We're called to suit up 
to put on the armor, and then we have a role in taking our stand against the devil and his schemes. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says, I have fought the good fight. That's not civilian language. That's soldier language. And in today's passage, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, your enemy, the devil. So the Bible describes us not as innocent civilians caught up in this cosmic battle, but as soldiers who were called to put on the full armor of God to take our stand against the devil, to, uh, to resist him, to, to fight the good fight, and to fight the enemy, our devil. So we are soldiers in a war. But even with that, we can still manage our fears. It's only natural for you and me to experience fear. We, the stakes are high. As in any war, the stakes are the possibility that we might be injured or even lose our own lives. Every one of the apostles was, was martyred for their death. As Christians, we, we understand that in the war, as soldiers, combatants in the war, we might lose our physical lives. We also might lose our spiritual lives. <clears throat> we might lose our comfort. We might lose our, uh, like Peter's original readers, the, the possibility. There's no guarantee that we won't lose homes, flocks, herds, jobs, loved ones, and even our own physical life. <clears throat> the challenge is we cannot allow <clears throat> our fears, our worries, our anxieties to keep us from accomplishing God's purpose for our life. We're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work which he prepared in advance for us to do, Ephesians 2.10. And so while we manage, while we work with fears, we've got to manage our fears so that we can accomplish God's will for our lives. How do we do that? Another step in that is trusting our God and Savior. Trusting our God and Savior. This passage we just read has several promises from God. Promises of, of, for his soldiers, for his combatants. And one of those is in verse 6. Verse 6 says, God will lift us up in due time. Devin had a great class this morning and I enjoyed it very much. And, and one of the things that was brought out in the class so beautifully was the fact that, that being a Christian in no, in no way guarantees us freedom from suffering and trials. In fact, quite the opposite is true. We're to, Jesus told, told his disciples, his followers, if you follow me, don't be surprised when they treat you the same way they treated me. So being a faithful Christian not only doesn't save us from hardship, it actually brings those hardships on. In today's passage, verse 9, we're told that the brothers throughout the world, the brotherhood, is under the same kind of suffering. So church, we need to understand that, that hardship and trials for God's soldiers is nothing strange. It's not unique, and God hasn't lost control. The good news is that even though there is a suffering associated with being a Christian, we still worship a God who is more powerful than any enemy we'll ever face. In fact, let me rephrase that. We worship a God who's more powerful than all the enemies we will ever face put together. 
John in chapter, John's gospel, his account of the gospel in chapter 10, he quotes Jesus. And Jesus is talking about his disciples, his followers, those who've decided to come and be a part of his ministry, a part of his new covenant. And he says, my father has given them to me. And he is greater than them all. No one can snatch them, his followers, out of his father's hands. So yes, hardships are, are, are part and parcel of being a faithful Christian, suffering for the cause of Christ. But Jesus promises you need to understand that, that nobody can take them, you and me, his followers, from his father's hand. So even though, verse 16 says, or I'm sorry, chapter, chapter 1, verse 6, uh, Peter introduces his letter in chapter 1, verse 6, by saying that we'll suffer for a little while in grief and all kinds of trials. That's true. But one day, God will lift us up out of those trials. One day, God will remove the hardships. One day, God will, will take away the, the suffering. One day, God will take away everything that we feared is gone. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. Maybe not before what we were afraid of comes to pass. But in the end, God will prove us victorious. And our faith will be affirmed because all of our enemies will be destroyed. Another promise of assurance from God is in verse 7. God cares for us. You know, there, there, there may be times when, when you and I feel alone. I don't know about you, but my world kind of goes through seasons. There's just seasons where I feel really connected with people, not only just in my biological family, connected in the church family, connected, I just connected to the community. And then there's times when I kind of just feel like I'm off by myself. And often those are times when hardship comes. Those are times when, when struggles appear, when, when Satan is doing his thing. And it's in those moments, if you're like me, it's in those moments I feel like it's up to me to fix what's broken. It's, it's up to me to, to supply what's missing. It, it's up to me to, to heal what's sick. It, it's up to me, and, and, and I feel like I'm carrying these weights on my shoulders. But we have a promise here from God in verse 7 that God cares for us. And what that says is we're never really, truly alone. We have a God who can fix what's broken. We have a God who can supply what's missing. We have a, guy can, a God who can heal what's sick, and he can do an infinitely better job than we can. <clears throat> so there's an assurance <clears throat> from God. He cares for us. A third promise of assurance is verse 10. The God of all grace will himself restore us, make us strong and firm and steadfast. Pardon me. I want you to notice some phrases in verse 10. And these are all by the grace of God. The God of all grace will himself restore us and make us strong, firm, and steadfast. Look at this. By the grace of God, God will restore us. He'll make us perfect. Everything that we've lost, everything that we've sacrificed, everything we've given up to be a faithful follower of God will one day be restored. And it's by God's grace, he will make us strong. He will strengthen us. And yes, this may very well play out in, in emotional strength, spiritual strength, physical strength, uh, in, in, in our times of trouble, in our, in our times of struggle, in our times of sickness. He, he may come and, and, and strengthen our feeble arms and our, our legs. There's a prophecy in the Old Testament about that. 
But without a doubt, it will come when Christ returns. And this, this mortal body that, that is subject to, to aging and decay is replaced by a glorified body that's built for heaven and for eternity. Great promise from God. He will make us strong. And another promise by God's grace, he will make us firm or confirm us. There, there's a, there's a, a moment in the future when all of the doubters will be proven wrong. When all of those people who looked at you and said, well, yeah, I, I understand that you feel the need to have some kind of religion and believe in some higher power and that makes you feel better and you, you think you can pray to him and you think you can talk to him and you think he responds and, and you know, if you need that crutch, that's fine. But for all of us who are really logical and thinking, we, we don't, there's going to be a day when all the doubters are proven wrong because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And imagine that day. When the ones who said, all I need is me, I don't gloat over that day. But I look forward to the day when I can stand before God and by his grace confirm I made the right choice. Great, great promises from God. Great promises from God. By trusting in God, we can manage our fears. Also, by trusting in God, we can resist our enemy the devil. That's the third step in managing our fears, resisting our enemy, the devil. Colossians chapter 2.15 says that Christ defeated his enemies at the cross. He triumphed over them at the cross. So, so Satan is defeated. He's not destroyed yet, but he's defeated. What that means is between now and the time Christ returns, Satan is stuck here on earth. He's, he's Locked in down here, and, and he, he's still able to prowl around like a roaring lion and look for people to devour. And I think that's strong language. It doesn't say he's looking for people to maul. He's looking for people to intimidate. It says he's looking for people to devour. Satan's goal is to take us away from God, away from the salvation that Christ died for us, because Satan knows that's the best way he can hurt God, is by taking his children away from him. So, so, so until Christ returns, we have this enemy prowling around. So the passage that, that, that Peter gives us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives us five ways to resist the devil. The first one in verse 6, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Imagine you're Peter's original reader. Just to my favorite words, let's pretend. Let's pretend for just a minute that we're first century Christians and Peter's writing to us. Nero is the emperor and we're under his reign of terror. And Peter says, well, here's some ways you can resist the devil. We're living, right? the people of Nero's day believed he was the Antichrist. He's certainly one of them. And here we are getting together as a church, and we know as we come together as a church, that puts the, the spotlight on us and puts the target on our backs, but we're still here together. We're worshiping, and we're, we're struggling, and we're, we're trying to manage our fears. And then Peter comes up with something like, humility? Wait a minute, why don't we take the mighty hand of God and strike Nero dead? Let's, let's do something proactive. Well, humility. If I understand that right, church, what that means is, one of the first steps in resisting the devil and his attacks is to humbly accept the life we have as God 
provides it. Well, that can, that's easy to say. Those words are easy to pronounce, but goodness gracious, think about that for just a minute. Think about the original readers. You're under Nero's reign. He's a pagan leader. He has, he has no concept of who the real God is, has no desire to learn the concept of who God is, has no desire to lead in a godly fashion. He's, he's going to persecute Christians to, to their own holocaust. And the first thing Peter says is, well, you need to be willing to accept the life that God has provided you. If that's true for the original readers, that's equally true for you and me. We need to humbly accept the life that God has provided with its joys and with its victories and with its trials and with its hardships. Because each one of our lives has been suited specifically to us to prepare us for a home in heaven. God knew we were going to live in this moment in history when this world is moving away from God, becoming post-Christian, God knew that. God knew that, that, that cancer and, and, and disease was going to be a part of our life. God knew that. And he put us here in this moment in this time and says, here's where I need you. And here's what you need to be prepared and refined and ready for a home in heaven. We're able to do that. We can humbly accept the life God's provided because if it means the suffering that we go through is that God is preparing us for a home in heaven. We know that God will lift us up one day by his mighty hand. Humble yourselves before God. Another one is verse 7. Second defense against the devil's, peace, the devil's attack is peace. Casting all of our anxieties on God. I don't know about you, but I always have this mental image in my mind. This mental image of when, when I'm... When I'm the best version of me, rare, when I'm the best version of me, it's when I take my anxieties, my worries, and the things I fear about. What do they say? Perfect love drives out fear. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grow and mature my love. So I take my anxieties and I take my fears and I kind of go, here, God, would, would, you, would you take those from me? Quick before I try to take them back. That's not what this passage is about. The language that this passage uses, the language that Peter uses, is not, not humbly you know, submitting your anxiety and your fears to God, hoping he takes them away from you. It's like take them and chuck them. Here, God, take that one. And I don't need that one anymore. And this one, I'm done with it. Toss your anxieties on God. Get, here, I'm done with this. That's another way of resisting the devil. Third defense, the first part of verse 8. Being sober-minded. We're talking about military strategy. We're talking about military language. We're talking about the fact that we're soldiers in a battle. So just to think for a minute about uh, you're a soldier and you're out on, on a, a, a convoy. You're out on a mission. You're out to, to survey the land. They, they've sent you out on, on an exploratory mission. You're outside the perimeters of the gates of the, of the, of the compound. You're, you're out on, on, on a routine mission and, and you're in enemy territory. Doesn't matter what your assignment is. Maybe you're assigned to go find where the enemy strongholds are. Maybe you're assigned to look for uh, uh, snipers. Maybe whatever the assignment is, you're you're out. That would be a really good time to be thinking clearly, wouldn't it? That'd be a really good time to be at your best. Well, if we're soldiers, and no matter where we live, we're in a war zone, and this devil is a, is is a, like a lion prowling around looking for us, wouldn't this be a great time for us to be clear-minded? 
to be ever present, to be sober-minded and ready for the devil. Fourth defense, verse 8, vigilance, be watchful and alert. Uh, I know I touched on this, I'm sure Keith probably did too. These are words that Peter's heard before. In fact, it has been suggested, and I think there's probably some strength to the, to the suggestion, Peter's repeating words he's already heard from Jesus. On the night Jesus was crucified, he came to Peter, Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, and he tells Peter specifically, he warns him, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Peter, this message is for you. I, I, know, I know what Satan has in mind for you. I know, what, I know what's coming up for you. And the, one of the ways you can resist this devil, one of the ways you can resist this temptation is watch and pray. Keep your eyes open and stay connected. Be watchful. And before that night was over, Peter denied Jesus three times. You think that made an impact? You think he remembered that? And so now here Peter is someone who's been restored by God. He, he's preached that wonderful sermon in Acts chapter 2. Who, uh, <laughs> I love uh, Joshua's comments on the communion thoughts. Don't you think if Jesus said, stick him, Peter? <laughs> Boom, he'd have been all over that, right? He's been restored. And now he sees the people he loves and cares about, his brotherhood of believers, going through the same sifting by Satan that Peter's gone through and the words that Jesus spoke to him come back to his mind. Hey, be watchful. Be watchful because it's dangerous out there. We need to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation. Fifth defense, verse 9, is standing firm, resisting the devil. The teachers and I are all using a booklet, a curriculum written by a man by the name of Glenn Newton. It's called Certain Hope for Uncertain Times. It's a helper to kind of keep us all on the same track and on the same page when we're working on this, this series through First Peter. And he has a great quote in here. And he references the parable that Jesus teaches about the foolish builder and the wise builder, the one who builds his house on the sand, the one who builds his house on the rock. And his conclusion is, if we build our house on the sand, if we build our defense against Satan on the weak and shifting sands of, of our own abilities, of our own skill set, of our own courage, of our own strength, of anything besides God and, and his grace to us, then we're building on the sand. But if we build our foundation on the rock, then we can withstand. And so this author in his, in his uh, curriculum on First Peter says, unless Jesus is your foundation, Satan will devouring you. So our fifth defense is standing firm, resisting the devil. Uh, Gabe read it for us earlier, did a fantastic job of it. Our calling is to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So we are to put on the full armor of God so we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Church, managing our fears is the only way you and I can accomplish God's purpose for our lives. There's a reason why we're here. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The reason why God didn't snatch us up into heaven the minute we became Christians to avoid any chance we might fall away is because we have a purpose on earth. And you and I cannot accomplish that purpose if we're paralyzed by fear. 
I think the first step in managing that fear, according to today's passage, is realize that they were soldiers in a war. And that when we struggle and when Satan tries to attack us, that's the same thing he did to Jesus. Jesus said, if they persecute you, they'll persecute me. If they persecute me, they'll persecute you. We need to realize we're soldiers in a war, not civilians. And then we need to put on the full armor of God and take our stand. In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing. That's our invitation to you. If you're here this morning and you need to respond in some way, if God's touched your heart this morning, if you need to give your life to Christ, return to Christ, if you want to spend some time in God's Word to see what His plan is for you and your purpose, well, we'd love to do that with you. If you're at home, call, text, reach out to us somehow. But if there's any way this church can serve you this morning, don't leave without letting us know. It's our blessed opportunity to serve you. Won't you tell us how? Let's stand. Let's sing.